we want to welcome back, I would think perhaps the most popular guest on this show, one of certainly, if not my all-time favorite, and somebody you better listen to, as you heard the music say, because he teaches a lot, he does a lot, and that's for the majority of American people, the middle class, the workers, the Joe and Jane Q. public, just like you and me. More than a pleasure to have back Leo Girard, International President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO, and we have a lot to talk about on this Monday, months ahead of an election. Looks like Trump's going to be the nominee, Hillary Clinton getting closer to that Democratic nomination. But there's a lot that people need to know about issues before they get out and cast their votes. President Girard, more than a pleasure to have you back. Happy Monday, sir. Thank you. Happy to be on. It was happy Mother's Day yesterday and happy Radio Day today. You know, we see in Chicago today, in Chicago, Illinois, hundreds of people who are angry with the rich because the rich keep getting richer and more and more Americans see bad deals that the rich back that create not jobs but more job losses and the American people are already feeling and still reeling from losses of the past economically. Um, Let's talk about trade. Trade remains a hugely hot topic to anybody running for president. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or on the right. So let's talk about trade and let's talk about the specific job losses that correlate with bad trade deals. Well, but, uh, you know, that it, it's, uh, it's very frustrating to, to see that the, uh, the elites of both parties uh, don't completely understand the repercussions of these bad trade deals. Uh, and you can pick of the of the major trade deals. You got uh, NAFTA with Mexico. We got uh, what's called PNTR, permanent normalized trade relations with China. We got the trade deal with South Korea. If we look at any of those three, and you look at them in a historical perspective, there's we're not now we're not able to, we don't have to say well this is what might happen. Let's see what did happen. And in every one of those categories, we went from having relatively balanced trade to huge, huge record-breaking trade deficit year after year after year. And you take just, for example, South Korea, the most recent one. We went from having a relatively balanced trade agenda to now we have a $48 billion trade deficit with South Korea, which is a fairly small nation by manufacturing standards. If we look at China, I mean, this is this is almost mind-blowing. The trade deficit with China in 2015 in what's called durable goods, manufactured items, was equivalent of $1 billion a day, $367 billion for the year. We used to get told, well, don't worry about that. We'll take the high-tech jobs. The trade deficit with China in advanced technology products is almost $25 billion. Uh, if you look at what with NAFTA, uh, and we've now got record-breaking trade deficits with Mexico, and all we got to do is see what happened recently in Carrier. At uh, Carrier, where the factory in Indianapolis made uh, furnaces, uh, and other equipment, they simply called the workers in and said, 
nothing personal. We can move to Monterey, Mexico, and pay workers $3 an hour. So adios, we're leaving town. And over 2,000 people lose their jobs. What's the guy going to do that's 56 years old, has been working there 30 years, might have a kid in college? What's he going to do? Who's giving a damn about him? Uh, very, very good, very good question. Very good point. Let me ask you, President Gerard. This is the fourth anniversary of the Korea Free Trade Deal, known as Chorus. Isn't it true that Chorus served as a model for TPP? Um, uh, Chorus is a deal between the United States and eleven Pacific Rim countries. Excuse me, TPP. Um, and the benefits that they're touting that TPP would have are the same that they touted about Chorus, the Korea Free Trade Deal. But we have four years now to look back. They said it would support the creation of some 70,000 jobs. Exports would rise by $10 billion. Both of those claims did not happen in the past four years. No evidence of any of that, right? That's right. And, in fact, if you take Korea, in fact, the opposite has happened. U.S. exports to Korea have dropped um, by almost $4.5 billion. Uh, Exports from Korea to the United States have increased. And on a monthly basis, I've almost set records every month over a month. Um, and when you think about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, there's not enough discussion that's been going on about the workings of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's not just some kind of uh, uh, cooked-up deal in, in the sense that it's natural economics. The, the fact of the matter is that it's designed to put American manufacturing out of business. And, and what I mean by that is that as long as 45% of a product is made from, quote, one of the T- one or more of the TPP countries, it can enter into another TPP country duty-free. So 45% can come from Vietnam, Malaysia, Brunei, but where's the other 55% come from? It can come from anywhere to still be able to enter the country duty-free. So China gets a seat at the TPP table without even being there. So then you can well imagine why there's this rush to move the auto assembly plants to, to Mexico because right. the, the, the components will come from a TPP country or China. They'll be assembled into an automobile in Mexico at 3 and 4 and 6 and $7 wages, and they'll be exported into the U.S. duty-free. The American auto workers are making, you know, $20, $22, $23 an hour, the, the, the steel workers and the other workers that make components for auto parts are in the same boat, anywhere from 15 to $25 an hour. Uh, and already then, you got the example of Carrier, where they say, adios, we're leaving because we can go to Monterey for 3 bucks an hour. So what will happen to our domestic industrial capacity when the TPP kicks in that way? You know, what, why, why, are we, why are we all of a sudden in love with Vietnam when, you know, 45 years ago, Young men and women were getting killed in Vietnam to fight communism. Now the communists are our allies. That's an excellent point. Uh, President Gerard, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with you. We'll continue to talk about our current approach uh, to trade. Um, doesn't breed jobs, but job losses. It grows deficits, not profits, and that the TPP will result in more of the same. And if you think this is just somebody pulling a card out of his sleeve, we can look 
Jokoris, the Korea Free Trade Deal. It's the fourth anniversary of that very bad deal that made the same claims and serves as a model for the proposed TPP, the deal between the United States and 11 Pacific Rim nations. We'll be back with President Leo Girard, international president of the United Steelworkers, the USW, right after this. Follow him on Twitter, at USW Blogger. The website for USW is USW.org. When we come back, we'll talk about an op-ed the president wrote. We'll talk about those political candidates out there, what they're saying and what you really should be hearing before you cast your vote for anybody. Don't go away. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio, talking with International President of the USW, the United Steelworkers, Mr. Leo Girard. Uh, President Girard, thank you for holding, and welcome back. Um, The President, President Obama, wrote a national op-ed last week, as you know, and in that op-ed, he wrote about the virtues of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, on the fourth anniversary of the Korea trade deal known as Chorus that served as a model for the proposed TPP, that deal between the U.S. and 11 Pacific Rim countries. Could you talk to us about that op-ed and how it made you feel? I mean, this is a man who is pro-union. This is a man who seems to care about his country, care about creating jobs, uh, care about the, you know, the, 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 the middle-class worker, uh, the little guy, the have-not, not necessarily the haves. Then you have Donald Trump running for president, who's one of the haves, who is, uh, you know, against, it seems, bad trade deals. And as a matter of fact, he seems to appeal to some Democrats on trade who don't listen to him being so anti-union and right-to-work state. Then you have Hillary, who's uh, leading the fray with the Democrats, who switched her position, and some people are very suspicious of that uh, with regard to the uh, TPP, the Trans-Pacific partnership. So talk to us about the president's op-ed and about these candidates, President Gerard. Well, I, I think the first place for me to start is that uh, um, Donald Trump attempted to woo our members at uh, Carrier with uh, um, his comments and actually wanted to go to um, the rally that we held, and our folks said no. And the reason they said no is they view him as a hypocrite. They know that uh, the overwhelming majority of his products that he tried to market were foreign-made, mostly in China. Uh, and uh, when he does work on his so-called buildings, we're never sure whether he's lending his name or building the building. But uh, very often it's uh, constructed with a majority of imported uh, materials from China and or other countries. So in that regard, our members at Carrier made it real clear that they view him as a, as a fraud, as they called it. With regards to President Obama's uh, comments in the op-ed, it's one of the times when I actually believe the president's wrong. I think he's getting bad advice uh, that uh, too many of the leadership in both the, Depu- the, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have uh, bought into this myth of, I I hate to call it free trade, because there is nothing such as free trade. All trade is regulated, and this is a form of regulated trade that's meant to put downward pressure on wages. It's meant to allow multinational corporations to set up shop anywhere in the world with the least interference uh, in the way they want to run their business, whether that's environmental or economic. And one of the things that gets missed in this discussion is the industry of the uh, disputes panel in the ISDS disputes panel uh, you get to boycott the legal system of the country that you're challenging you get to boycott it by having a disputes panel that's set up from other multinational corporations or financiers and they will rule whether or not 
your profits have been denied by some form of regulation. So theoretically, you could bring in some regulations to make the workplace safer, and obviously that would cost some, some productivity and some cost, but you'd save people's lives, and a company can then dispute that and go to a private dispute panel outside the American legal system. So I, I'm at my wit's end why the president would... Uh, I think he's a lot smarter than that, and I'm really um, concerned with his promotion of the TPP, and I actually believe that it will be a loss for him, that uh, people on the, on the campaign trail, uh, you're seeing now where ordinary people from both parties and independents are fed up with the, the, the scam of these trade deals. And like I said on a number of occasions, and i got to tell you, no one's ever answered my question. And the question is really simple. If you look at, and again, I'll focus on the three countries that I focused on, but there could be other countries included, Mexico, China, and South Korea, where we've got a historical example where year after year in each of those, we've hit record trade deficits year after year. If a trade deficit is good for the economy, why does no other nation want one? That's the question. And the reason that the American elites push it, the reason the American multinational corporations put it is because they want to be able to set up shop anywhere in the world and have access to this market. And, and you know, one of the most valuable things for a corporation is access to the American market. But when you start to see that even Walmart is getting concerned and wanting to try and hypocritically hypocritically with Hippocratic, Hippocratic's not the right word, I'm stumbling on Hypocritical, hypocritical, hypocritically. Yeah, hypocritically, uh, saying that they want to look at a Buy America policy. Well, you know then that what they see on the on the campaign trails is trying to get to them, and they know that the American people are tired of an attempt to fool them. I want to talk about fooled, being fooled, because we were. In December of 2010, the president announced the successful resolution of the outstanding issues with the U.S.-Korea trade agreement. And what did they promise with this U.S.-South Korea free trade agreement? More American jobs, faster economic recovery through exports. Four years after the fact, what do we see? What is the reality, President Gerard? Well, let me just take a couple of facts. Uh, we've had a decrease. In, in exports to Korea by 5%, while Korea has had a surge in imports of 115%. We've had uh, a decline. We were told that this would be good for agricultural products, but in reality, over the four years, there's been a 19% decline in the export of agricultural products to South Korea. Uh, we look at the trade deficit with South Korea. It equates to 95,000 American jobs that were lost. And again, I come to the to the point what, what people have to grasp is a trade deficit is a wealth transfer, and and so you'll hear you'll hear politicians from both parties talk about how we have to do something about quote the economic deficit the national debt, but you rarely hear them talking about the trade deficit. Since the beginning of PNTR with China, America has converted a wealth transfer back to China of almost seven trillion dollars. What? A, a, a trade deficit, remember this, a billion dollars is a thousand millions. A trillion is a thousand billions. So we've got a trade deficit accumulated over the years with China of seven thousand billion dollars. That's, that's a deficit of a, the last time of a billion dollars a day. 
And they say that a billion dollars equates to 20,000 jobs. So now we see what's going on. And, and again, the, 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 the frustration is ordinary people are starting to figure this out while the academic elites and the economists and others who talk theoretically about what should happen miss the boat. And I just keep coming back to my same question. If a trade deficit is so good, why does no other nation want one? That, that's an excellent question. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to break it down uh, by areas in this country so that people can listen to the areas that directly affect them, whether they or family members are in these areas for their own income and their own jobs, um, or if these are areas that they really care about as consumers as well. A lot to talk about with regard to bad trade deals. We have a fourth anniversary of one, and TPP will be yet another. And, of course, we have others like NAFTA, as uh, we know, uh, that's being used very successfully against a woman running for president when her husband had passed that deal. We'll be back with President Leo Gerard and you right after this. Hey, pick up the phone and join us. Want to get your take on trade. If you support Trump, what do you think his take is on trade when he has things made in China and Mexico? And how do you feel about Secretary Clinton having changed her stance and also the president's stance with TPP? Join us at 8886-LESLIE. Follow Leo at USW Blogger. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. And it's Monday, and we're glad to have with us President Leo Girard. He's international president of the United Steelworkers. We're talking about bad trade deals. We had one with NAFTA. We had one with the Korea Free Trade Deal. And we will have one also again with TPP. Um, let's break it down uh, by industry as to what we've seen happen um, with the United States and Korea. And can you start start with, uh, President Gerard, you did touch upon, but I'd like you to go over again, the auto industry. Um, and, you know, what, what has happened as a result of this four-year deal thus far with the U.S. and South Korea? Well, the, one, of the, one of the sort of obvious things when you do the analysis is how many jobs we lost in the auto parts sector. And uh, part of that is the result of the trade deal. And the ability, it's, it's pretty simple, that uh, these trade deals allow corporations to do an analysis of where is the place that they can work to pay the less wages, the least wages have the least economic interference, and, and that's what they would consider it by having environmental rules and decent wages and benefits and health care and pensions and whatnot. And so in the, in the auto sector in South Korea, um, our, our exports to South Korea went down, while their exports to the United States went up by over 115%. The, the, the part that is so distressing, though, is in addition to this model that we can see that over the last four years it hasn't delivered on any of the promises that it made, nor has it delivered with PNTR, nor has it delivered with NAFTA. Now we're talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and the crucial part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership is the dismantling of the auto parts sector. Because any part that is made by one or more of the TPP countries, keep in mind wages in South, in Vietnam are somewhere between 26 and 70 cents an hour by our standards. In Malaysia, they still use slave labor and child labor. In Brunei, Brunei is a kingdom with the Sultan of Brunei determining everything. Uh, and just to name those countries, Anything made in those countries can enter another another TPP country duty-free. Welcome to Mexico. Auto industry is growing faster in Mexico than anywhere in North America. And so now parts can come from uh, 
TPP countries, but it also left open as long as 45% came from TPP countries, 40, 55% could come from anywhere. So China gets a seat at the table. China said, publicly announced, publicly announced last year that their objective was to get $100 billion worth of auto parts exports into the U.S. market by, if my memory's right, 2018. Uh, so they will have their auto parts coming into the North American market through Mexico. Components will come from TPP countries like Vietnam, Malaysia, Brunei. They'll assemble into an automobile, and that automobile will be assembled by Mexican workers making one-third of the wages of a North American or an American worker. And those automobiles will then be exported into the U.S. duty-free. Some economists say, well, that's, those are good things because we'll have lower costs, lower prices. Well, they're not any good if you can't buy the damn thing that used to be made in America. You can't buy an American-made furnace because uh, you, you don't have a job. You can't buy an American-made car because you don't have a job. You can't, you know. So th the reality is that we've lost millions of jobs through these trade deals, and the economists that have been promoting it, they haven't got a leg to stand on because the hi historical facts are in dispute, and they're very, very clear. I mean, wages, wa wages have been flat or declining as a result of these trade deals. When you talk about these different sectors like manufacturing, and I think you know people forget under this agreement uh, or exports, people don't realize how large a net is cast here. We're talking about aerospace, automotive, consumer goods, electrical and electronic goods, metals, scientific equipment, uh, shipping, transportation equipment that gain duty-free access to the Korean market. Um, we also talk about services. Um, you know, Korea agreed to match the high level of openness provided by the United States in a host of service sectors ranging from energy and environmental services to financial services and distribution and, of course, agriculture. Um, now, I don't understand. This is an area, uh, you know, help me, Leo. The U.S., isn't, aren't we already Korea's top supplier of agricultural products? I mean, you know, how, we, we, I, and what more do we gain in this area? We, we, we were, but remember now what I said earlier. Although we were South Korea's largest exporter of agricultural products, our agricultural products actually declined by 19% yep. in the last four years. They declined. They didn't go up. And the one thing that you didn't mention when you were going through that is something I mentioned earlier. We've got a $20 billion deficit in what's called advanced technology products. So our, our trade deficit in advanced technology products which prior to PNTR, prior to the Korean trade deal, was virtually to our advantage. We had a surplus in those products. Now we have a $20 billion deficit in those products. So that there is, there is no piece of any of these trade deals where any of the alleged promises that were made were actually kept. Every one of them has turned out to be the opposite. Let's go to some calls in New York City on line two. Dominic joins us. Uh, Dominic, what do you feel that we need to do? What, what do we need to do, especially with regard to jobs? That's what Americans care about in and outside of an election year. Dominic, welcome. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I, I don't have any easy answers to this. Uh, I definitely do see it as a problem with the growing deficit, but... I mean, you got a couple of things that we're going to be dealing with. We're dealing with a technological age where we're not building or creating much of anything anymore. Everything is geared towards apps and app-driven. So when you have a, a country that's not manufacturing or creating much, much of anything anymore, and uh, very little that we are, we're, 
we're up against a competitive world market where you got other countries or other parts of the world where they're operating at a much lower cost, such as China, you got India, uh, certain parts of uh, Mexico, Brazil. They're operating at a much lower rate than what we are. Just to keep a person employed, I mean, we're looking at, you know, the talks about the $15 minimum wage. We're talking about, uh, you know, many different regulations just to ship back and forth. And then you're also talking about weighing in on the the, the Obamacare, which is a whole other ball of wax that we're not going to get into at this moment. But you, you add all of these compounding factors as well as others. How does a business stay competitive operating here in the U.S.? Well, look, let me... well, I think that's a good question, Dominic. I'm going to let President Girard take that one. President yeah. Girard? Yeah, look, at it's, uh, I, I feel bad if Dominic actually accepts all that stuff that he's heard. Let, let's take, for example, a couple of, uh, of, of three... I'm going to try to give three quick examples. The uh, Chinese steel industry produces 400 million tons more steel than it can consume. It does that deliberately because it can't. They can't keep their system afloat if their people are in the streets. So not only do they export that global excess capacity in steel around the world, they're exporting their unemployment with it. That's one quick piece with China, and they're doing that in steel. They're doing that in aluminum. They're doing it in paper. They're doing it in rubber. They're doing it in tires. They deliberately produce more than they consume, and they flood the rest. Flood the rest of the world with it. Drive prices down. Drive people out of the market by subsidizing and by cheating, basically. We filed over 50 trade cases in the last several years, and we won 98% of them. People say, why do you win so much? We win because we proved they're cheating, because that's their business model. So that's, that's number one. Now, number two is that if, if you look at uh, uh, sort of what, what they do on our, our, our multinational companies, what they do is they transfer our technology. I'll take two quick examples. Boeing transferred on the promise that they could help build uh, uh, airplanes in China, they transferred the wing knowledge. The wing is the most important part of the plane, next to the avionics. GE transferred the avionics on the same basis that Boeing had, that they'd get to be able to build airplanes in China. Well, guess what China just did this year? China just announced that they're going to build an equivalent to the 737 or one of those numbers. I always get the numbers screwed up. They're going to have one of those ready to go to market by 2018. Guess where they got the technology? They got it from us. We gave it away. So that when, 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 the, when the person talks about the decline in manufacturing, we're having a decline in manufacturing because we're giving it away. You know, and, and my last point will be Carrier. You know, Carrier has a plant that has been making furnaces and another plant that's been making air conditioners. They've been profitable. Their parent company made almost two billion dollars of profit in the last quarter. Their CEO got $149 million uh, total income for the year. And yet they, they, they have the gall to call the workers in and say to them, nothing personal. This is strictly business. We're moving your plants to Monterey, Mexico, because we can pay workers there $3 an hour. You can't blame that on workers. You can't blame that on a, on a system where they're over-regulated. They made profits every year. You base that on greed, perfect greed. And, and right now you look at most of the Fortune 500 companies, it's common knowledge that most of the Fortune 500 companies in the last couple of years 
have used 80% of their profit to buy back their own stock. You say, why are they buying back their own stock? Because when you buy up, buy back your own stock, the price rise goes up. So you give big dividends and buy back your stock. Guess how the CEO gets paid? He gets paid in dividends and stock options. So it's you know it's a bankrupt system, and and it's American workers are figuring it out. It's taking a long time, but we're figuring it out, and that's why there's all that hell to be raised during this election cycle. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with President Leo Gerard right after this. If you have questions, just one more segment. Time flies when you're having fun. By the way, I want to tell you something, President Gerard. You know there is not a labor union leader out there that has stood his ground for as hard as our guest, International President Leo W. Gerard, in his fight to preserve and create union wage jobs. What do they do? They support middle class families and our communities, folks. To advance the fight for good, safe jobs, he's focused the USW, the United Steelworkers, on strategic contract bargaining in paper, steel, rubber, and other key sectors. And at the same time, has been fighting these unfair trade deals and building clout through political action and domestic and international alliances. We'll talk more about these bad trade deals and why they're bad to we the people when we come back with our guest, President Leo Gerard. Check out the website for the USW, USW.org. On Twitter, follow him there, at USW Blogger. He has a front page weekly post at the Huffington Post. That's awesome. you got to read it. We share it with you. We'll be back right after this. We are back with the international president for the United Steelworkers, Mr. Leo Gerard. Leo, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Let's take some more calls. In North Carolina, line two, Michelle joins us. Um, Michelle, you know, you made a good point. You tweeted about what trade deals instantly do with regarding workers and wages. Could you share that with our guest, President Gerard, please? Uh, well, thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's just it's very clear. Every deal we've had, it's hit- it pits American workers against low-wage workers worldwide. So we are, you know, historically have had higher wages, so our workers always end up on the short stick because we're competing against people making a third or fourth less than our workers today, and companies then are looking to lower their costs. They're going to naturally go to those countries that they can trade easily with that, you know, the wages cost less. President Gerard? Well, that's absolutely true and and the, the fact of the matter that's part of the reason that the economic elites want to have these global trade deals that uh, they, they want to pit worker against worker they want to pit country against country and the one thing we got to recognize is that america is a consumer-based society uh, we have to make as uh, henry ford calculated that workers have to make enough money to buy the products they make and uh, that's what started the, the the ability of a worker to buy an automobile uh, so that when you're in a consumer-based society, you've got to buy enough. You've got to make enough money, I'm sorry, to buy what you make. The Chinese worker can't afford to buy a car, the average Chinese worker. Remember, there's 1.2 billion Chinese. If you've got 300 million in the middle class, what we would consider the middle class, that they have to keep working, you've almost got a billion peasants that they can keep bringing in and rotating in. And they know that. And so by having these global overcapacities in steel, aluminum, paper, glass, it doesn't just drive down prices in America. It's driving down prices in Europe. It's driving down prices in other parts of the world. And, and what they're doing is they're exporting their unemployment to us by continuing to subsidize their, com- their, their companies. And as one of the CEOs of one of the steel companies said, China is a company operating as a country. And... Uh, that happens now in Mexico. 
by the way, it's cheaper to manufacture in Mexico now when you take into account shipping costs than it is in China. And the Mexican government's had a strategy of low-wage economy. Yeah, not to mention uh, what they're you know what they're doing uh, with their their money uh, and constantly you know constantly playing with it, offsetting it. Let's go to Mike in Memphis, line three. Mike's listening on iHeartRadio. Mike, good afternoon. Question or comment for President Gerard? Yeah, hello, Leslie. How you doing? Good. Uh, what I want to ask, you know, I mean, you know, I love it when Hillary Clinton said the problem can be diagnosed, but what's the solution? So it's been thing to diagnose for the last eight years about the trade deficit. So what is the solution? I haven't heard anybody come out. Well, we had a Democratic president last year. What are these congressmen and senators also? What are they doing to try to to uh, eradicate this thing? Well, let me let me just say that uh, in the Democratic House and uh, or they're in the House of Representatives, all but 28 Democrats uh, voted with us, and those 28 Democrats, I call them corporate Democrats. Um, and again, big money plays a role in that, that circumstance. This, 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 the rules are fairly simple if we want to put them in place, that you've got to create a balanced trade economy. We've got to quit giving away our trade secrets. We've got to quit giving away environmental protections. To you know, I'll give you an example again in steel. The Chinese use steel, iron, iron ore sinter. Iron ore sinter is the highest pollution sinter to make steel. But by not converting it to pellets, they save $30 a ton in steel. So they buy all their iron ore in sinter form, and they create the highest level of, of uh, environmental degradation and the lowest level of unemployment. By doing that, we have the highest level of unemployment in the cleanest economy, and they do it in reverse. So the secret is to have rules that give us the balanced trade agenda, and that's not impossible. We, had, we did a climate change bill that had a border mechanism so that if China, as an example, wasn't meeting adequate environmental standards, they'd have an economic penalty put on because of their higher pollution rates. That bill uh, passed the House, got killed in the Senate by Mitch McConnell. So there's lots of ways to give us a balanced trade agenda if we have the political will to do it. Uh, and let's talk about that. We only have a couple of minutes remaining, and I, I want to talk about what what do you want everyone listening to do? I mean, obviously, to get out and vote, to have knowledge of what they're you know who they're voting for and what they're voting for. But when we um, circle back to uh, the Korean agreement being a model for the TPP. It must be noted the U.S. trade deficit with all nations over the past four years declined slightly by 5%, while at the same time the trade deficit with Korea surged up 115%. You have said before the USW says it's time to recognize the reality of these free trade deals. They're outdated theories that have never worked. So what do you want the people to do with that information, President Gerard? First and foremost, I would tell them not to be fooled by Donald Trump's rhetoric because he doesn't mean it in his history. Again, I say, you know, let history be your guide. We look at his history, we know what he's done, then vote that way accordingly so that uh, the more Democrats we elect, the better chance we have of stopping these trade deals. The next thing is talk to your member of Congress, your senator, your House of Representatives, and make sure that they know that they can pay a price for voting for TPP. TPP is the worst trade agreement we've ever had, and we only talked about a couple of segments. We didn't talk about currency manipulation. We didn't talk about state-owned enterprise. If you follow the rules of the TPP, it's going to be the midterm destruction of American manufacturing. And then the other thing we need to do is we need to start demanding that we have a balanced trade agenda. I want to make a closing comment. Germany has a trade surplus with China. 
They didn't get that because of they're smarter than us. They have that because they have better rules to enforce their trade relations with China. Well, that's very well said. Uh, th- uh, thank you. Uh, I just want to share some tweets here. Um, uh, M- Michelle, who called us, said trade deals instantly pit American workers against low wages worldwide, then corporations leave to cut costs. Sick and tired tweets. My husband, Leo, has worked at USS since 1969, and this is the worst I've ever seen in this industry. Mary tweets. Let, uh, let, me, t- let me just tell you. Very quick. They, uh, the Chinese went from producing 115 million tons of steel in 2001 to today they produce 1.2 billion b billion tons of steel of which over 400 million tons are domestic over capacity america's steel industry went from 115 million tons to 85 million don't tell me that that isn't deliberate on china's part very true very true and we need we we need the rules to be reversed uh, with regard to import export we need to offset that deficit because it's bad and it hurts the american worker and the american economy leo gerard we love you leo gerard international president of the united steel workers the usw follow him on twitter at usw blogger and check out their website usw.org hours straight ahead coming up wide open telephones don't go away